Once I rose above the noise and confusion Just to get a glimpse beyond this illusion I was soaring ever higher But I flew too high Though my eyes can see I still was a blind man Though my mind can think I still was a madman I hear the voices when I'm dreaming This is Mark Marble. And I'm Jim Ford. And this is the Lantern Cast Presents Pre-Birth. Episode (laughs) (laughs) three-ish. Well, it will be our, it's our third released episode because of Legends Month and things that were out of our control. We never got, we are already off our scheduled plan of trying to record in chronological order of all the major appearances of Hal as the Spectre. So... We're gonna we're gonna kind of like have a 2.5 episode coming soon that'll fill in the gap, mm-hmm. so we're, that'll and that'll cover Green Lantern I think 119 and Justice GLA 35 which were really the first two full appearances of Hal once he became the Spectre, but to follow through and wrap up Legends Month, we're going to be doing the four issue arc Legend uh, just in Legends of the DC Universe 33 through 36 which was Destroyer of Worlds, which pretty much set the status quo for what the Spectre Hal Jordan series was going to be like. And it was a pretty damn good, and hopefully people will agree once we get go through this, but I think it was a pretty impressive storyline, and, and it, it certainly gave, gave you a different take on where Hal and, and the Spectre were going to go. Yeah, yeah, what you call it. Um, some of the things that I wanted to point out, um, this actually does reference at least that Justice... The, the JLA app, uh, issue. Yes, it does. Um, so those things, yeah, those things definitely happened before this. But like Mark said, since it's Legends Month, you know, we're we're attacking this one first. Uh, it's not going to be a, you know, it's not going to be a big deal. But if you want to, like, you know, if you're going to re-listen, then you'll have 2.5, you know, to go before this. Um, now, I had really... I, I'm pretty sure that I have picked this up and read this, but I had all but completely forgot about this story. And going through it again, like, you know, it's it's funny because there's some things where you, you pick up and you're like, it's like, oh, wow, they really just completely forgot all that when they did Rebirth. But then by the same token, this is kind of like a a pretty solid bridge from where, you know, the mythos was to Rebirth, and especially for the character of Hal Jordan, like, Jeff Johns was using a lot of this. Right, absolutely. And and as we know, since Jeff Johns was the one who helped make Hal the Spectre to begin with, and that we know that he certainly had he had a certain vision of what he of what Hal as the Spectre would be. So even though Jeff Johns was not writing either this four-issue arc or the main series that was going to be with uh, Demetrius, J.M. Demetrius was going to be the going to be the 
author, if you will, of Hal, pretty much Hal's, most of Hal's run as the Spectre other, until the very end when John's kind of took him back during the JSA uh, storylines that d- led into Rebirth. But yes, there's a, there are a bunch of elements that of who Hal was and, and, the, and the struggle that Hal was dealing or going through at different stages with struggling to be the Spectre, have the power of the Spectre, the essence of the Spectre, the conflict between the two, which of course is kind of a key even in this arc that we're going to be talking about. But yeah, some of those elements still carried forward and, and, and are not necessarily inconsistent with the retconning, if you will, or the behind-the-curtain, the lifting of the veil that we got in Rebirth, especially Rebirth 3, I think, was the issue that really focused on who Parallax was and what the real relationship between Hal, the Spectre, and Parallax was. Right. So before we get into this, we should also thank and mention our partners in Legends Month, because actually, even though we're probably going to be one of the last, this episode will be one of the last episodes of the of the crossover to be released. So most of these other episodes are available now. So we have Gotham Girls, uh, number 17, that's episode 17 of their podcast. That's the Legends of the DC Universe crossover we have Two Freaks Presents Pop Culture Affidavit, 80 Years of DC Comics. Episode 4 is their Legends of the DC Universe episode. And Views from the Long Box, as, as we record this, have they have not released their episode yet. So I don't have, we do not have an episode number for their, you know, their part of the crossover yet. But all these podcasts are available on iTunes, and you could also Google them. So that's Views from the Long Box. Gotham Girls, and Pop Culture Affidavit. So we certainly recommend you check out their episodes as well as our kind of repurposed episode of Jim and Dan's classic episode number 60 with a little bit more more material added to it. That's going to be – if you haven't checked that out yet, please check that out. That is our Lansing Cast Proper's tie-in to uh, Legends Month. Hey, what what did you guys do? We did a – the long story, the super long story short, because we don't want to cut into our Spectre time, is that for some reason, uh, the original idea was because basically, sorry Chad, basically Chad forgot that you guys did all of the Trader stories. He thought you only got you only did part of the of the Trader trilogy, not all of it. Right. But then I went. Then I I was thinking I thought they did it all, and then we realized we went back and yes, they, you guys did everything. Mm-hmm. So what we did was we we did a new intro. We did a new intro to it. And then we did, an, then we talked, we talked about, the, you know, what you guys talked about and what our thoughts on w- with it. And I'm trying to remember if we add anything else to it. So it's, ba- it's basically, <laughs> so it's, it's more, it's more like your episode without the Blackest Night talk with about like 15 minutes maybe in, of new material added in. <laughs> so, so, oh. Yeah. So I'm it's sure, mostly, I'm, it's I'm mostly sure. you and Dan. So thanks. <laughs> I'm sure that it was, uh, it was better than uh, mediocre. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you heard about that, huh? <laughs> uh, let's just say it's a good thing that I'm on Twitter. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. That was that. I did see that post too. Yeah, yeah I, had, I, believe, I had nothing I to do Scott. with that. <laughs> I believe it was Scott who gave me the heads up. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> so let's let's uh, delve into this. Uh, Legends 33 kicks us off. We have uh, it's written, you know this whole thing has been written by J M D Mateus. Um, 
I don't I don't remember if the art is consistent the the whole way through. I think it is. Let me double. I have all. Let me just flip through the covers real quick. Michael Zuli is the artist on this one. Yes, on all of them. Okay. Uh, the inker is Vince Locke and uh, colorist James Sinclair. Who did the uh, the covers on these? Uh, that's a good question. Let's see. Does it? I don't know if it says who did the covers. It usually says it on like the like the letters page or like the very back page. Let's see. I don't want to slow us down. I can look while you're talking. I do not. I'm not... Oh, Phil Hale. Phil Hale. Yes, Phil Hale did the... Looks like Phil Hale did the cover. And I'm assuming he did the... He certainly must have done the covers for at least the first three, because they all look the same. The fourth cover is a little off, but I think it's... Yes, Phil Hale. So I'm assuming... Safe to assume he did all, he did all four covers. So it looks like, the cre, looks like the creative team was the same for all four issues, which makes sense, because there is a con, pretty consistent look to this. Okay, so uh, we start off, Hal goes to heaven looking for answers. He wants to know why a loving God needs a spirit of vengeance to punish evildoers. Um, why not just punish them in hell? So he's, he's visited by a bunch of loved ones and friends, um, first his mom, then Jim Corrigan, the, the former Spectre. You have Barry Allen... Um, the Flash, Oliver Queen, Green Arrow, and finally Abin Sir, who comes in later on. Uh, we see that Hal, you know, has been punishing people like basically left and right since he got, you know, you know, he took over the mantle, and it's kind of happening against his will, you know, as the Spectre just takes over and like kind of branches out so that he can punish multiple people at, all at once. He's very, uh, you know, time efficient when it comes to that sort of thing. He's really good at multitasking. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Multi-punishing. Yeah, yeah. Um, at one point, Hal visits Carol, uh, but he comments on how nobody can recognize him or remember him after he's left. He reminisces, and he picks up that her heart seems to recognize him, but... They are interrupted by Carol's grandpa of a husband, <laughs> which we'll get into. <laughs> and Carol, Carol has a weird. That's not the best look for Carol. Either. No, she is firmly stuck in the eighties uh, in this in this particular series. Um, as Hal is uh, drifting away from his encounter with Carol, uh, this other weird dude on the astral plane kind of glimpses his spirit. Something, something or rather, like he is able to touch like the tail end of it and pick up some of his psychic echo or something. They don't really. It's it's kind of nebulous. Um, then uh, Hal goes to punish a guy that has shot up a fast food eatery uh, and then killed his family, um, and that guy seems to be happy to be punished. Um, so there's probably something up with that, but they don't really go into it in this series. Um, what you call it? Uh, right after that, since he, you know, tortured the guy, he basically like shot him or, or kill, you know, what did he like killed him repeatedly? Yes. And yeah, he was, uh, killed by, 
okay. The Spectre turned, he created the fast food restaurant, and in this, like, recreation, everybody that worked there was replaced by this one guy. And then the Spectre took the place of the guy and proceeded to kill all of the employees, which were this one guy. So he was dying just numerous times. Uh, and then at like the very end of this, you know, punishment, you know, the specter's there and he's just about to graze him to, you know, I guess send him to hell. And at that same moment, like the police officer fires a bullet and you know that, so that you're not quite sure what killed this guy, but he kind of wanted to die, which is really weird. So after that, after that really, you know, kind of screwed up encounter, Hal goes to visit his brother Jack and his niece Jennifer just to kind of get back in touch with humanity, even though he's like a spirit, kind of. He's like a like a siloed spirit, if you will. But, you know, again, they don't they can't recognize him because of his his. Uh, well, I guess it's his weird persona. Part of his, um, part of his, his, as we'll delve into when we, when we do 2.5, or when we have done 2.5, if you're listening in chronological order, yeah. that's more, that, that is explained more in JLA 35, it's kind of part of Hal's, you know, his penance, or what, or, or the line he has to walk before he can start gaining more of the Spectre's power, so. Um, and then we, we close this issue by finding out that, uh, while all the other spirits that Hal saw in heaven were just kind of like, impersonations, if you will, from his own personal heaven. Like, Abin Sir at the end is real. Like, it's the real ghost of Abin Sir, and he plans on, you know, kind of taking a journey with Hal for a little while. Nice. So, you got that. Oh, and that, that dude that was uh, astral projecting was uh, called so or Heisenberg. No. <laughs> I, I like I like to uh, I like to think of this uh, four issue arc as uh, titled "Better Call." I almost said that. I was trying. To, that's funny you said that because I was thinking of a joke, but but it'd be like "Better Call Call." <laughs> yeah, no, just "Better Call." <laughs> so there are some good things even in this issue in the setup. I I like I like some of the interaction like with the quote-unquote Ollie, like when he's shooting the arrows at Hal again. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, to kind of mess with his mind. Yeah, I kind of, I did like that. I liked, um, the, sp all the spirits, like, of the, uh, of the, of his wife, of the, the guy in, who was in the restaurant, the shooter, his wife and kids, the, 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 the spirits of those, of those three, the, the way they were just hover, hovering around. They were yeah. they were really freaky they were really freaky looking. <laughs> yeah, and like how they weren't even happy to see him punished. They were just sad. Right. Yeah. Like the fact that he was like happy to be punished for this makes me think that like there's something to it like these people were kind of almost forced to do it against their will and they are looking forward to it ending and them not, you know, being able to cause any more pain. Right. Um, so I don't know if that's something that they, I don't remember if that's something that they touch on in the future, 
but it does kind of give me the impression that that is something that they would be setting up. Well, based on the redemption theme that we'll be getting more into once we get into to the actual uh, series, more than this, more than this mini series, the actual regular series, mm-hmm. that redemption is a huge theme. So, so some of that obvious, some of that makes sense. Right. That, uh, which is one of the reasons I really enjoyed the direction uh, that this book took. Not just the storyline, but it, as we get more into more and more into Hal's run as the Spectre, that if I like that take. I thought that was a pretty impressive change of direction. And also, it's a test, again, a testament to Hal's power and his willpower to be able to do things with the Spectre that other people could never do. Even if they wanted to, they were unable to do. Yeah. Yeah, well, that that's definitely the part of the Spectre that intrigued me the most about that series. Although, I think it, it didn't really last very long that they were in that direction. You know, like right. They kind of they kind of switched a little as the series moved on. They tried they, to make it a little more standard, meta- I guess. Yeah. Yeah, they made it a lot more metaphysical and just like you know battles and it kind of it kind of went off the rails. I I was still reading it, but it was just it wasn't as enjoyable as when it began. I think that's a fair assessment. Yep. So um, what you call it? One of the things that at first I had a little bit of an issue, but they kind of explained it pretty, like, almost perfectly, how he gets to heaven, and he first he meets his mom, which, like, you know, right off the bat, like, here's, like, you know, if you're reading this as compared to Rebirth, or more accurately, um, the Green Lantern Secret Files, you know, the, uh, the Secret Origin. Right. Of, of Hal Jordan, like, the mother is like, you know, it's completely different. Um, how the mother was played in this and how the mother is, you know, now set in Hal's universe. So, you know, she's just like this kind of, you know, loving older woman. I don't know that they've really delved into Hal's mom too much in the past. No, clearly, and, and they even go, and as this, for, this arc goes on, we see more of Hal's father issues resurface too we do see mostly Hal's um, most of the historically we see mostly Hal's and his relationship with his father though if you go back to Emerald Twilight you kind of, there was a, his mom kind of has a key role in that when he recreates Coast City because his mom is the one who kind of warns him that, she's, that you have to you have to let go of what's inside you or else it's going to take you down you know it's going to take you down a path that you that you can't come back from and things like that so his mom so in, in that even though again that's still Far and few between from an appearance point of view, but there are other instances, I guess, where his mom almost like kind of acts more as a tries to act as a moral compass for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I like that. I prefer this mother to the one in the future. Uh, from you know post post rebirth. Yes. Uh, but anyway, you know, like just how she says that. You know, she was sad when he died, but she was also happy because then she was going to get to see him. And then she found out that he was actually sent to purgatory, and it broke her heart. And, like, I just thought to myself, it's like, well, this is heaven. You know, like, this is heaven, and you're in heaven, and, like, things are happening that can break your heart? Like, that's kind of a shitty version of heaven. 
you know, like, you would think that everything, you know, is amazing and happy and joyous and everything like that. You know, like, you know, just for your heart to be able to break in heaven just seems like a troubling concept. But the fact that it isn't exactly heaven, it's Hal's personal heaven, and these are just manifestations that, you know, Basically, he's kind of imagining himself. It's almost as if this entire place is a construct, you know, heaven of his. Right, and and, so, and it's and it's all and it's and it's the baggage that Hal brings that you know, especially in the beginning of the of, the, of issue one that we see all over the place. It's the ba- It's other than his, you know, his internal struggles with controlling the Spectre. It's everything else that we see pretty much on the page are just he's you know his own personal demons and his doubts and his and his insecurities and all these things are kind of manifesting themselves so it that makes sense that some of the things that you know his mother would say that he would he would he he would imagine you know that his mother would be or his mother and his father for that for that sake would be embarrassed of, or ashamed in of what he did so that's kind of like his way of kind of you know more guilt him dealing with his guilt, which is which is kind of big in in this series, right? Um, what you call it? Now, to jump ahead a little bit, like the direction that they went with Carol, like it doesn't make any sense. You know, like here she's you know Hal's on again, off again, you know, girlfriend. And Hal dies, and, like, not very much, you know, longer, she's now, like, married. And this dude is, like, you know, 60, 70 years old. He looks like Commissioner Gordon. He looks he looks like a decrepit form of Commissioner Gordon, <laughs> like an older, clumsier form of Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> Decommissioner like, Gordon. Yeah, decommissioned de- Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just, it's, come on. You know, like, it is, uh, and she was, yeah, she was no great shakes herself. It definitely looked like she was, like, you know, stuck in the 80s. Or or at least stuck in uh, Frank Miller's uh, Darkest yeah. Night Returns. Yeah, like, the the art which is fl- the art which works uh, for a great deal in 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 this whole story arc is not it does not work for Carol Ferris. Yeah, I will agree with that. There are some things that do not work. So, yeah, yeah, no, I I just I hated that whole thing, but I did dig the idea that Carol's heart recognized him, even though she didn't. Right. Uh, that was cool. Uh, the guy call, like, I, I don't know, like, in this issue, they don't really give you much to go on, so that was just kind of like, eh, okay, it's there. Like, you knew that they were setting it up, but you didn't really get enough anything for this issue. No, definitely, they, they definitely are, they made the cameo just so we, you could delve in, they could kind of introduce him fully, like, in the second part. Um, the, the whole thing with the fast food eatery was kind of... What's the term? Visceral. Yes. Like that was that was a uh, kind of difficult 
to to go through because that was just like a really screwed up situation. Like, you know, like okay, we know the kind of things that the Spectre is, you know, going to, you know, go after, and like they started, like you know, they started with a bad one really early. On. <laughs> and it kind of gets worse as, as, the, as the series goes on. There's a there's a couple of good ones too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This one was uh, this one was rough though. Yeah, it was. Uh, but I mean, by the same token, it did make a lot of sense to take that, you know, and jump over to his brother and you know and niece. So I mean, that was cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's basically all I have to say about this issue. It was a, it was a good opening chapter. Yeah, definitely. It sets the stage well. Mm-hmm. When I re- when I when I went back and reread it, I kind of. It's one of those interesting things because not a not a lot happens, but this, but there's so much that helps set up everything that it still you know it still works. Mm-hmm. That if you just especially when you're reading all four issues you know back to back, that yeah. you can you can appreciate you can appreciate the setup. It, it's kind of it's kind of like once you see the full season of Game of Thrones, you can you can kind of like forgive like the first two episodes like almost every year that are super slow. <laughs> <laughs> Not last year. Not last year, but la- last year was <laughs> extremely different. Last year's whole narrative structure was different, but this year so far it seems like they're back to the normal one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, they're doing well. They're doing good episodes, but we don't want to. Yeah, <laughs> we don't want to go too far on a tangent. No, we won't go off on a tangent because who knows? There'll, there'll probably be another Game of Thrones episode at some point. <laughs> so, epi- uh, issue two. Yes. Issue 34, and this issue is titled Call, and not surprisingly, because we get a big introduction to who Call is and what his power set is. That we see, we see Call in, a, you know, in this creepy meditative uh, state with all these ritualistic masks, excuse me, masks behind him, and, the, and these candles and these dragon candle holders, and basically he's putting himself into this. You know, he's meditating and putting himself in this state that he had learned from a, a of course, a Tibetan monk, of course. Of course. <laughs> who, who else would you learn it from? <laughs> Just, it was a, basically a way to, like, it's essentially a way to, like, kind of commit suicide in a way, but not truly. That you basically, you face, you're facing your demons, essentially, from your own rage and your own fear. Hey, tie, tie in the emotional spectrum well. And he's even read it. And he's even read in his, uh, in his, uh. At his astral state, so Call is being attacked by all these demons, and 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 he they say, and so we die. But of course, and he lived to tell the tale. So after he he gets out of this state, and he kind of like, you know, he gets his he has this really serious rage look on his raged look on his face, and then Call, who's still butt naked, he was butt naked doing through all this. He's kind of like walking by in his whatever it is, his chamber, and. We hear the narration, which at the moment we don't know who it is, but the you know narrator talks about it. he was a man obsessed since childhood, had been given to visions, and we find out basically you know Call's been work has like like 15 years or so of CIA training as a as a psychic, and he helps you know develop his powers even more. But while Call's walking you know through his chamber and everything, we see this we see this statue of the of the Spectre with his arms crossed, staring at him, and Call pretty much has been obsessed, or is obsessed with the Spectre because he's had this vision because of his psychic powers that he knows he's going to die at the hands of the Spectre. <laughs> which is which, which, which is interesting and leads to, and it'll lead to a good 
you know, conversation about, you know, destiny and stuff later on as we go through. So now we we cut to one of, probably one of Jim's favorite scenes based on his and <laughs> the first issue that we have Hal basically taking these really weird form of a hydra going after this Carlos Figueroa who is a a drug dealer a cartel leader. So he's got this <laughs> spectre-like hydra mixture chasing after after Figueroa here and he eventually catches up to him and chomps him and he just like and he kills him and then you know the specter the, you know the narrator goes you know but however much I pitied, pitied Figueroa I felt even more compassion for the man who killed him Hal Jordan and we cut to a yeah. flop and we cut to a flop house where uh, Abin Sir and Hal Jordan are talking and once again you know Hal Jordan is kind of lamenting the fact that you know he he you know it's kind of we talked about in the first issue review that Hal, for the most part, has been unable really to rein in the Spectre. He occasionally is able to, but for the most part, the Spectre at this point pretty much does whatever he wants to do, and Hal can't really stop him. So Hal's talking about to Abin Sir, like, how can I find redemption if basically I, I can't control the Spectre and I keep doing things that are really morally reprehensible? And, you know, Abin Sir kind of tries to give him perspective and tries to give him a pep talk about, you know, you're the spirit of wrath, Hal, you know, this, that's what he does. You kind of knew that when you took the job. And then, of course, it's, and a very, it's a very human-like tangent, Abin Sir kind of goes, you know, why are you in this flop house to begin with? You know, you're a spirit. You're not even alive. You don't need to eat. You don't need to sleep. It's like, why the hell are you here? Yeah. And, then, and then Hal just, you know, you're a spirit like I am. And, of course, Hal doesn't really take too kindly to probably being reminded that he's dead when obviously part of the key a key component of Hal is trying to cl- cling to his identity of being alive so Hal kind of just storms off and slams the door and and Abin Sir in a funny line goes he could have just walked through the wall <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which so uh you know call is you know call is, we see call again he's meditating and he's focusing in on the specter trying to find planning to, he's got a plan for the Spectre, and, and this all has to do with trying to prevent his own death. So he sends another astral projection out look, you know, looking looking for the Spectre. Yeah, Hal's at the All-American Diner, how appropriately, sitting there, you know, again, kind of like, a, once again, kind of like drowning his sorrows, even though it looks like he's only having coffee, but he's, he's still extremely depressed. <laughs> drowning his sorrows in, in coffee. coffee. But he's depressed, and he's looking in the mirror, and first he sees himself, and then he sees Abin Sir, you know, and while he's drinking his coffee, then all of a sudden, you know, Call kind of shows up in the mirror in the mirror and goes, hey, Jordan, can you hear me? <laughs> and it's like, can you feel me? And he, so he starts playing head games with Hal Jordan, and, you know, and, and, then, and the mirror shatters, and Hal sees all the, in the fragments of the, all the, of the mirror, he sees Call, you know, and, and Hal's kind of really... He's he's a little shaken, but he's very, he's kind of more upset. And of course, the Spectre is really pissed off that anybody's kind of playing head games with him. It's like, how dare you mock the, the spirit of wrath? It's like, I'm gonna get you, mother. <laughs> so the you know the Spectre prepares to leave and hunt down Call, and of course he kind of does his version of the Jedi mind trick by like, you you will uh, f- f- forget everything you have witnessed for the rest of the people at the diner. Uh, the Spectre does the same. Th- does the pretty much the same thing Jim described in the first issue when he splits off into multi versions of himself, sending 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 mini specters <laughs> off to try to track down in a, in 
pick up on any evidence of call to find out who he is, where he is. And while this is going on, Abin Sir, of course, shows up, and he goes, uh, "You know, I want to talk to Hal." And the Spectre goes, "He is with, he is with me, but not truly of me." And Abin Sir tries to, more or less, confront the Spectre, you know, but not, but in a very subtle, calm way, like, "Is but is this what, you know, is this what God wants? Is this the kind of merger or team that God wants?" And the Spectre freaks out on him and like asks what he wants. It's like, "I want to warn both of you." You know, and he starts, you know, going back into the tale of Hal Jordan, you know, about how, you know, he gave, you know, this young test pilot this power and everything else and and how it consumed him eventually. And the Spectre goes, I know that, which is why I'm I say, why I'm not giving Hal control and why I have to maintain power or be in control of the merger. And Abinsur goes, no, that's exactly the reason why you have to let Hal be in control. And of course, the Spectre more or less does his version of of astrally flipping him the bird, and he kind of like <laughs> dissipates Abinsur's spirit for a while. And Abin, uh, excuse me, this Hal Hal Spectre tracks Call down to Stonehenge, kind of appropriately, and all these different, all the other the multi versions of Call's astral projections all come around the corners of the other pillars at Stonehenge. To confront Hal, and you know how all all the other all the other specters show up. So it's like it's like this 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 big rumble between calls and specters, <laughs> seemingly. But of course, you know, on the surface, you know, the specter is all cocky that it doesn't really matter because you know this guy can't do anything to me. So on this once again, you know, the specter seemingly wipes out Call one two three boom, and then he realizes that you know the specter is essentially he has been trans ported against his will into the bowels of the earth and he was and this was by call and call tries to begin now call tries to play head games with the specter like he did with Hal Jordan and he talks about you see all these all these cave paintings and everything and see these are these were all deities and these were all they were all worshiped long before basically god your god was ever even in, in existence and of course this really gets to the specter saying there you know there's there was never such an error there's always been god and call he goes i beg to differ and at that time and what he does is he uses some of his astral power to bring some of these deities and these spirits from the alive from the cave paintings you know and they attack the spe- and they attack hal and the specter and the specter you know he this this i'll read this piece of you know, narration cuz it's kind of important uh caged in the core of the specter's being a desperate hal jordan struggled to break free to gain some shred of control for as he, for as he felt the waves of terror rising felt raw madness engulfing the spirit of wrath he understood at all <laughs> all at once what the specter didn't and, you know and the specter is like re- that this wasn't real but the specter didn't quite realize that at that time that call was still playing games with his head you know, the, and it turns out they were never at Stonehenge. You know, they were never that you basically called them playing games with them all along. Ever since you know, they, since they were at the diner, that from the inside out, everything ha- everything the Spectre was imagining wasn't really happening. So the one thing I did like, I don't know if you thought about this, but when you saw Hal kind of like, kind of caged up inside the Spectre, being powerless, I kind of thought of Parallax. I thought of Hal being kind of what we saw when Kyle was inside of Parallax, because that's the first true inside view we got of what it's like to be inside Parallax, seeing Parallax do, you know, what you what he was doing, but not being able to control it. That's what I kind of I saw kind of like a similar thing in 
what Hal was going through. Um, trying to think where where exactly was that? What page was that? It is. Let's see if I can get the page number on this. It is the page right after the page right after where Hal's gets taken down to the bowels of the earth when the cave paintings are on the wall. It's the next page when it's starting to come to life. Um, you can just, if you want, you can just look and when you find it, we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm searching for that now because. Because you just see kind of Hal, and it's a green panel, but he's, he's kind of like walled off. So it was with that dialogue that oh. I just read. Oh, oh, I see. That just struck me as something that's very, that probably was very similar what what we've been led to believe it is like to be in a host of Parallax when Parallax is doing what he wants. Yeah. That's what struck me anyway. I know obviously at the time it wasn't – even though it's, it's also kind of cool if you look at – if you look at one of those – before they come to life and it kind of, ruin, and kind of ruins that you know dream if you will. But when Hal's in the bowels of the earth and you see – when you first see those paintings on the wall, that first one that's kind of cut off with that – dialogue bubble that literally says bowels of the earth it almost looks like parallax before you see the face you see the torso with the kind of like the ribbed or striped belly it almost looks like parallax we know it isn't once we get to the next page it's much more snake snake like but but um so what call what sorry but sorry folks <laughs> so what call then does is he really plays a super head game and basically he says that with all his training and with all his training, you know, of, at the CIA and everything, that he's been able to essentially connect with all the victims of the Spectre through centuries because their pain and their terror and everything that they've gone through because of how the Spectre punished them was so strong that there's still been some, like, psychic or astral imprints that are still available now. So Call basically ties into Call, call but I'm bum calls on all these... All these victims, basically, all all these people who hate the Spectre so much, to just and, and and that hate just overwhelms the Spectre and basically, literally, almost like eats him up from the out from the inside out. So we see this, you know, we see this flaming body of the Spectre crash down to Earth, into a makes a big crater in the ground. A couple of calls, lackeys, basically pull, you know, pull the the Spectre out of the ground. And transports him back, you know, to his chamber, to his his mansion. And we basically find out that the statue that Call was looking at earlier in this issue is indeed the actual body of the Spectre who is now locked in. And the little narration at the end is pretty cool. That you know, Hal Jordan had the potential at least to transcend that spirit's influence, to make the Spectre more than he had ever been before. There are those, and I count myself among them, who had hoped he he would, but on that awful night, hope died, and Hal died with it. Died again for the very last time. The biggest thing that I wanted to point out for this issue is, uh, like, what was it? Just after the whole call thing, where you see Hal for the first time. As yes. a giant, like, you know, multi-headed Hydra. Yes. Um, yeah, the the mouths on those Hydras. Do you know what that's reminiscent of? You tell me what you think it is. 
modern day parallax. Yeah. Okay. I was gonna say that, but I didn't want to. I should have just said it as opposed. But yeah, that's what I, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that's the only thing that would make sense to me. It was parallax. Yeah. The yeah that the the jaw <laughs> the the super super teeth parallax. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's in a way when you really think about it. There's a, as we've already mentioned through the first two issues of this that even before going into the details of it, there's a lot of stuff here that really is not inconsistent at all with the things that we, we, we learned after the fact related to parallax, that there really right. are things. And it, and it really opens itself to like we just talked about, to possible, to even interpretations of, of different things, you know, that when we first read it, when it came out, of course, we wouldn't have thought twice about it. But now connecting the dots that it certainly, you know, it, it does fit in, it does fit in quite well. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's, that's the biggest thing like that I took away from this, this whole four issue arc, how like, you know, this is this is like a four issue series that was in Legends that I am sure that so many people just missed. They didn't pick it up, they had no interest, they didn't realize, whatever. You know, whether or not they also picked up the Spectre series, you know, like maybe some people picked up the Spectre series but never picked this up. Because, you know, that can happen. Like, if you didn't know that this was a direct tie into that series, you know, then you would never would have read this. Right. And it's almost as if, like, yeah, this particular four-issue series, you know, is the bridge. And you see so many things over and over again that, like, you know, after Rebirth happens, people keep asking questions. Okay, well, like, how come this happened? You know, and what's going on with this? And, you know, Jeff Johns just pulled all this stuff out of his ass and he's retconning everything and blah, 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 blah. And if you go back to this this four-issue arc, it's like Jeff Johns did not retcon a whole bunch of things. Like, this has been setting it up, you know, for years. Right, and you can even – even like a simple – at the time, because we're rooting, you know, especially as time goes on, not just in this arc but in the series, we're rooting for Hal to take get more and more power from the Spectre. Not just because it's Hal and we want him to do, you know, succeed and, re- and get redemption, but also because it shows again how powerful Hal's persona is. Mm-hmm. But 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 then you look but you look back at it like what you're saying, from the what we know now about the Spectre and Hal merger and why it was done. Now that dialogue between Abin Sur and the Spectre makes a lot more sense when the when the Spectre is going. I absolutely am not going to give give him control. Yeah. <laughs> I have to maintain control. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Um. I mean, beyond that, for this issue, I mean, like, just well, we'll go into more with the statue next issue. Um. How Hal gets turned into a statue? Because I think they they really they do a much better job of describing that next issue. But uh, what you call it? One of the interesting things is that when Call is fighting off his demons in the astral plane, at like at one point, one of those demons definitely you know looked something resembling Parallax, and they you know. And they like that's the same frame where he says the demons are incarnated from his own fear and rage. Yes. And I like again, that's just one more thing. It's like, okay, well this is this is clearly paving the way for, you know, what we know will come now. 
Yeah, it's even all yellow and red, too. They're talking about fear and rage, and it's dealing yellow and red, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, like, this is it. Like, this is the this is the groundwork. And I, thi- I, I just wonder, how, like, how many people just completely pass this by? Yeah, this is act. This this story arc, besides being really good to begin with, it does actually it's 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 really a. Hopefully, we'll, we'll encourage people to go back and just you know ch- and check this out if they haven't ever read it before because, because again, besides it just being a good arc, there are like hopefully we're having that come across that there's a lot of things in here that are, if you're a Green Lantern fan, especially if you liked a lot of what Jeff Johns did. Uh, when he took over the when he's from rebirth on there's a lot of stuff here that you could definitely see that it fits and you know and it's not a it's it it kind of fits into the puzzle a lot more clearly than one would think yeah, well listen i mean even if you were not a big fan of rebirth because you know you thought that jeff johns was pulling stuff out of thin air then this is kind of like a must read series so that you know this is the justification like he didn't pull it out of right. thin air like, you know, he, this was getting, this was set up. Like, this was, I, well, in true Jeff John style, <laughs> this was all set up several years prior to him taking over. Um, Absolutely. There's one thing I wanted to say about issue one I kind of forgot. Only And the re- only reason it stood out like a sore thumb was because we just, because we just went back and we, and we, Reread, you know, all the traitor issues. That I, I kind of thought it was interesting that the end of issue one, with Abin Sir is like putting his arm around Hal and going, "I was never much of a philosopher, Hal." And of course, in the beginning of of Abin Sir's arc in uh, in the legend, in, in in the traitor legends, it's like he's talking about how he was a teacher and a, and a philosopher <laughs> when he's about to land on Earth uh, to go after traitor. It's like in the first, like the first time I think we see Abins, or he just talks about, well, I used to be like a, a, a philosopher and a teacher. <laughs> so I just kind of thought, I, just, I said, something about that doesn't sound right. Why? And then I went back and I just flipped open the graphic novel of Traitor since I just read it, you know, to record this week. And it was like, yeah, now it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the two guys in the diner that, that uh, the Spectre, you know, does the Jedi mind trick on. Right. Who the hell are they? Because they have to be somebody. Uh, let's see. Let me go back and take a look. Uh, let's see. You, you feel, I don't know, weird? Like, like something big just happened, but you have no clue what it is. Let's get out of here. All of a sudden, this place gives me the major willies. Like, those two guys, like, just the way that they look, the, like, the the faces that they have been given, like, it just makes me think, like, okay, well, this definitely are is two people. I don't know if it's, like, you know, a music group, or if this is, like, you know, J.M. DeMatteis and the artist, you know, or something like that. That's very, li- you know, likely it's possible, uh, but... Like, those two guys, they're somebody. If, if anybody's listening, you know, knows, like, maybe it's two musicians and, you know, you're familiar with them or something like that, please let us know. Absolutely. It would be interesting. It's always good to good to get feedback in general, but it's but it certainly would be, when, we, when there's questions that we have, we always like to get the answers from our fans. <laughs> yeah. Please give us please answers. Please give us some hope. 
it doesn't some make help. any sense. <laughs> um, I don't know. Was there anything else really to discuss in this one? I don't think so. I think we... I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in here, but I think between the two of us, I think we pretty much... You know, we do... I mean, the, the overriding theme, that kind of, part of it in this issue at least, was the arrogance of the Spectre. Yeah. The spe- you know, the Spectre who just thinks he's, you know, invulnerable across the board. And that, and which of course kind of leads, which kind of basically leads to the, the status quo that we're in as we begin issue three because of the, the whole him being paralyzed. It's kind of like an interesting catch-22 that in a way that it's because of the Spectre's issues in a way that they ended up becoming a statue. But then it's like, then as Jim's going to talk about, it's how, it's up to Hal and his issues to get them out of it. <laughs> Okay, so in part three, issue 35, um, you know, we start out, Hal is, you know, he's stuck paralyzed by fear as a statue, uh, and meanwhile he's, like, you know, mentally fighting, you know, the fears, like, on, like, the, the psychic, you know, plane inside the statue. Uh, meanwhile... Call invites over a bunch of other psychics. Uh, I guess, you know, he's having a little dinner party. Uh, and he lets them know that he's going to kill everyone on Earth. And uh, when, you know, they, they, they ask, well, well, how are you going to do this? And he's like, I'll show you. And he, like, kind of sets out, like, this attack, you know, and everybody just, like, has their shields up and they, you know, go to attack him. And it's like four other psychics at once. And he ends up killing them all, and he steals their psychic power. So now he's like a, a super psychic. Um, meanwhile, uh, in the, you know, in the statue, Abin, sir, helps, uh, you know, he helps Hal face his fears, you know, uh, going after his, you know, a psychic uh, reconstruction of his Green Lantern ring in the psychic realm. You know, trying to you know show him that he can you know he can do this. Um, he's yeah. So while Abin is trying to help him, uh, eventually Hal just kind of has to face himself as Parallax. Um, so while that's all going on, Cole reveals to his kind of girlfriend Marsha that he knows the truth about her, that she's a powerful psychic from the Stargate project as well, which <laughs> I couldn't believe that they called this the Stargate project. <laughs> um, you know, she's another one of these, uh, you know, military trained psychics and she's the most powerful one that they have. And, you know, despite the fact that Cole just defeated four other super powerful psychics and stole their energy, she thinks that she's going to be more powerful you know, than him to take him on. Uh, and, you know, she attacks him, and he basically just, you know, wipes the floor with her, kills her very rapidly. Uh, at that point, Cole sets off to set off a chain of events to, you know, kill everybody on the planet. Uh, meanwhile, you know, in the, the psychic realm, Hal, he has to face the Spectre, or, you know, a version of it that he interprets... And he ends up throwing, you know, this the spirit version of the Spectre, you know, the, the, the Wrath. 
he throws it into like the fears that are attacking him and just abandons it completely. And with, you know, with the wrath out of the way, he is able to just kind of like take on the full power of the specter himself. Um, Unfortunately, he returns to the living realm. He's no longer a statue and it is too late. The entire world has been destroyed by Qual. Talk about bad timing. <laughs> Several months bad timing. <laughs> one thing we yeah. didn't well, I, one thing we didn't mention actually and I should have since it was my issue that it gets revealed in episode in episode in issue 2 of this arc that the narrator for this entire arc is is Abin Sir. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah that Abin that the, the, the which is a very interesting narration. That everything that happens, especially in this issue, but you know by the end of issue two that it's Abin Sir admits that you know that that he's that he's the narrator, which is which is kind of, which is relevant. I thought for sure that by the end of this story arc, they were going to reveal that Abin Sir was not really Abin Sir. But as we will find out as we delve into the series, there's a real there's a really good reason for Abin Sir to be. Buddy buddies with Hal. <laughs> Besides being a nice guy, of course. <laughs> oh, man. Well, now, now I'm slightly intrigued. Oh, <laughs> uh, you don't remember? I don't remember. Well, then I don't want to spoil it for you. It's a very, very good re- It's a very good reason based on, on from a from a storytelling point of view. It makes, it makes perfect sense. Oh man. This issue was I. This issue was really, really good. This is pro. As, as Jim and I kind of. Talked about very ever so briefly before we even started recording. This is probably probably the best. All the issues are good. This is probably the best, and probably in a way because it's got so it's, it's especially when you deal with you know Hal's inner workings that there's a lot of deep stuff in this in this issue. Yeah. Uh, like when well, Hal is basically yeah. Hal is now is Hal is almost paralyzed with fear to take the ring because to take the, the, the symbolically to take the ring because to him what it because basically, he's afraid of having that power. It's come it's back to you know that he's afraid to have power because he knows what happened before, and then the fact that he you know basically the manifestation of his father shows up to more you know to yell at him again. You know this is not the friendly, you know the friendly father that we mostly have seen in the Jeff in the Jeff Johns run. Yeah. This is this is you know, just screwed up again space case, you know. Uh, father, kind of like the the father that could never admit he was proud of Hal, even like in Emerald Twilight in the construct of Coast City, that kind of father. So he, you know, he he comes there, to, you know, to and that construct pops up to, you know, so laying the, you know, you know, laying the wood to or taking the wood to Hal there, and Abinser kind of steps in and and you know, kind of tries to give him the pep talk. You know, it's not really him, Hal. It's like, and he, but the thing that I really liked was was the. Uh, the con- the confrontation with pa- with the him facing himself as parallax, even though it's the capeless parallax, that it's the fact I like the little confrontation with uh, because it's actually a very interesting philosophical point because because Hal's afraid of having too much power because he had it before and look what happened and a- and parallax comes comes over to him and says you think you think all that happened because you know because you used too much power it's like the re- you got it wrong. The reality is because you didn't you didn't have enough power. You didn't use <laughs> an, you didn't use enough power. Yeah. You know? So that I like that little 
philosophical argument there because you could understand why somebody could believe that that if he had more power or used the, used more power or used it more more wisely he would have you know things wouldn't have turned out the way they did and parallax is kind of you know goading him, goading him like I'm your power Jordan I'm everything you can be when you stop holding back embrace me so I, I like you know I like all I thought that I thought all that was really really cool yeah yeah and again like you know, we've we've been mentioning like these these things that that point to to rebirth, but I mean like this particular issue, I think like it's never been clearer because you have the Spectre, he's literally facing all of his fears. So I mean like this is the point where like Parallax kind of like you know is you know building up its strength. You know, unfortunately, it's kind of trapped in the statue form. So like, while one could you know be like, well you know how come the spec you know the parallax didn't have more of an influence on Hal as the Spectre, you know, and why would he you know want to do all that you know to go to that realm? Well, I mean like right here, like you basically see like parallax the as the entity like was working like super hard to to take over Hal. But, like, in this issue, like, Hal is, like, literally fighting his fears, and, like, he ends up fighting, like, a manifestation of his fear, which, you know, it's what he interprets it as. But, I mean, like, you know, you can't look at that that interpretation and be, like, you know, and not realize that that is emerging of, like, the specter like spirit, the wrath along with the parallax entity, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's right there. Like these are, you know, it's not, it's, it's almost blatant how, you know, how much this ties into, to rebirth. Um, you know, and just like, and the fact that, that Hal just ends up picking up the wrath you know, this wrath merger of, you know, the wrath and parallax looks like, it's like this, it, it looks like a demon. It's got wings. It's, you know, evil. It's got like a big mouth with lots of teeth. Like this thing is the wrath and parallax together. And he picks it up. He faces his fears and like, he throws this fear, like at like the fears that were attacking him. It's like, you know what, you, you thrive on so much fear and everything like that. You know, you want me to be dependent on you. I don't need you. So long. He throws it away. And it's like, like, how perfect is that, that now you have, the, you know, the, the parallax, which is bonded to his soul, and he basically fought it off. So you're wondering why, par- why parallax didn't have more of an influence. It's because he fought it off. Like they literally show you that fight in this issue. I like to me like like I had questions. I always had questions about like you know well you know how do you go from here to there, you know? And you always like to me it was the kind of thing where if it, like when I first read Rebirth for what they did with Parallax, like I did not like that one bit. It didn't, you know, it didn't seem true to me to, to the character, to, you know, what they had laid before. 
but I was completely missing out on this this you know series here. If I had remembered this, it would have been like, wow, that's like you know that's a beautiful transition that they went you know from the old continuity into the new. The you know the 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 retconning is a lot less of a retcon and it's more like just a progression of the story. Yeah, absolutely. There's there when you reread the story, there's so and it, and the thing that it's such a it, you know it's really a deep arc. And of course, the Hal as we as we will delve into the Hal series itself. Certainly, as it began, it was very very deep, which is probably why you know why it wasn't you know it was because of that. It was it's one of those catch twenty twos. It's it's something that's really worth reading for the most for the most part because it's it's not your standard superhero fare. Mm-hmm. But it was bought by. You know, by proxy, it was almost guaranteed then to uh, not be as popular or as financially successful either. Right. But it was a real. But I really, you know, this, yeah, this, this arc I always thought was very good. And now that we get to revisit it and you go, we go back through it, and especially now having re. This is like probably like you. This is the first time I've really reread this thing since you know, rebirth probably. Mm-hmm. That yeah, this is. Do you realize how not only how good it is, but how it can you know how it really does connect. And a lot of the pieces are there if you look for them to be, or you certainly can connect the dots if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really liked, I really liked the whole call with the psychics aspect of this. Um, although by the same token, like the one, I guess, the one glaring kind of problem with this story is that, like, you have this woman, Marsha. Like, she knows that he's been killing psychics to increase his psychic power. And then he just killed another four super-powerful psychics and got all their power. And then she's like, you know, okay, well, you know, I've been waiting in the wings to, you know, take you out when the time was right, you know, and now I have to take you out. And don't worry, because I'm, like, the most powerful one that Project Stargate has. It's like, you're not going to win. There's no way, because you're not scooping up psychic power. You know, you're not eating it like so much grapefruit, like coal is. Right. You know, so, like, here she is, you know, it's like, her, for one thing, her hubris is just, like, ridiculous. Like, you're not going to win, and you just, you know, oh, I'm totally going to win. There's no way. It's like, he's, he's, like... He's basically fighting her with a psychic army, and she has, like, you know, a psychic, just really one big warrior. Um, you know, so that was kind of, that was kind of dumb. Yeah, but, uh, but, plus, her, but the only, plus the real only way she could even have a chance would be the element of surprise, and, it, and before they even fight, he makes it clear that he knows, he knows she's full of it. Right. So there is no element of surprise, so that was about the only chance she would have, and again, that, like, speaks to what you were saying about her... Her ego and her hubris, because of the fact that to think that her powers were strong enough even then that she could block block him from reading her mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, additionally, like, she's with him when he goes on these psychic walks, and he's like a million miles away. Like, if you wanted to take this guy out, you know, <laughs> do it then, or you know, when he's sleeping or something like that. Just like you know, kill him like with a gun and bullets. You know, and just be done with him that way. You know, instead, you like you gotta wait until he, you know, he forces your hand, and you do not have enough power to beat him. That was kind of that was dumb on her part. Um, and and also, 
The other thing was just like his motivation for doing what he's doing as far as trying to, you know, destroy everyone on the planet. It's kind of nebulous. They don't really go into it too well. You know, like it's it's kind of like that generic villain monologue like, you know, well, you know, humans are the virus and so they must be wiped out. Like, you know, this guy clearly has like a lot more going on. You know, given, you know, the little bits of history and, you know, dialogue that we have on him, just, you know, don't try and just write him off as, like, a madman who just wants to end the world because, you know, he thinks we're, you know, we're the disease. It's just kind of, it's kind of lame, especially, like, when you get to the, the last, you know, last page and you see that, like, the earth is burning and everything's destroyed. Like, you know, you weren't... You weren't wiping out humanity because humanity was like, you know, the disease. You you freaking you wiped out everything. You just set fire to everything. So, you know, you basically, you know, if humanity was the disease, then you killed the patient to get rid of the disease. Yeah. And it's also the and as we all, this has been a continuing thread uh continuing thread basically or a continuing point picked up on in every issue of this, but this issue touches upon it too, that he is so obsessed with, since he knows based on his vision and his powers that he's, he sees himself dying a horrible death at the Spectre's hands. So supposedly everything he's doing for the most part is including taking the Spectre out and doing all these things is to try to prevent that from happening. And we even get the image in, in this issue when he's look, first looking at the statue, when he sees the Spectre standing above him like with his sword like about to decapitate him that as we're going to see you know in more in, in issue four it comes back to the idea of the concept of you know you know what your destiny is and it's supposed to be crappy so you do everything you can to avoid it and then of course you much like anakin in episode three basically you make it a self-fulfilling prophecy that in your effort to try to avoid your destiny you basically create your destiny <laughs> So if, if you know if he had not actively sought out the spe- basically if he had not actively sought out to deal with the specter and, and you know, kind of like connect the dots that led to the end of the world that he wouldn't be deserving of such horrible punishment. <laughs> yeah, but even still, even still, just like it's like yeah, I'm going to you know trap the specter in uh, a statue of his own fear, you know, so that way he won't end up killing me. Okay, got that done. Job's done. Now I can. You know, kick back and relax. Oh, wait, you know what? Now that I did that, let me wipe out all of, you know, all, all life on Earth. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's like, you know, oh, okay, well, you're just now coming up with reasons, you know, or you're just coming up with shit to do because you think you can get away with it. Like, I mean, you know, if destroying the, the, the Earth was his plan all along, well then, like, you know, it wouldn't really be much of a surprise as to why the Spectre wanted to, you know, kill you. Right. <laughs> Ab- anyway. Absolutely. Uh, I love how, like, the, the Earth is destroyed and, like, you know, Apparently, all the other superheroes on the planet just kind of like went silently into that dark night. But um, boom. So we do at least get a, we get a little bit of a reference point, an explanation slightly. 
in the next in issue four about that. Um, but yeah, as far but you were correct that from the from a being powerless point of view, yes, it would seem that. So in a way, I mean, I don't know. I I do think when you when you really have this character facing off against the Spectre, even though yes, we know it is a it is a not fully empowered Spectre for most of these this arc, but still, it's kind of it is. The one thing you would have to, I think you'd have to say, it's still kind of hard to believe that this guy would have enough power to really take on the Spectre. Yeah, yeah. So. No, I, I definitely, I agree with that too. Especially, like, when you consider that, you know, you're coming out of, uh, what was it, uh, Day of Judgment? Right. You know, where, you know, those kind of heroes and, you know, people were taking on the Spectre. You know, like, you just saw, like, this big event where, like, you have to be, like, a really big deal. And, you know, okay, well, this dude was, he was trained by the CIA and Tibetan monks, you know, and he's, you know. <laughs> Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> okay. So, final issue? Final issue. Issue the number. final Countdown. issue. Number 36. Out from the Ruins is the title. So we have pretty much a completely distraught Hal Jordan as the Spectre sitting atop burnt-out bodies in, in, the, in this burnt-out husk of a world. And we see, you know, we see Hal's basically trying to – he's trying to process everything that's just happened, and he's just kind of like raging and raging and raging. And then he, and then he, real, then he tries to – you know, he, now that he's fully claimed the power of the Spectre himself, you know, and he oh, – not just because it's Hal, but, you know, the Spectre would have thought the same, honestly, that believing that the Spectre was omnipotent, that he could do anything to begin with. So the, so the Spectre, you know, reaches out, and he took the Earth, and he takes the Earth in his hands, and he tries to, you know, he uses temporal energy, and basically his plan was to turn back time and to prevent this from happening. You know, and he, and the, you know, Hal keeps trying, and he keeps trying, and he keeps using, you know, all the willpower. And he, and but eventually he fails because he just you know he just does not have that much power as is, as Abin Sur described you know Hal realized torn between shame and envy that you know omnipotence is the creators alone that that you know that every other powerful being other than God essentially has to acknowledge the limitations. So we see Hal as Hal no longer you know not looking like the Spectre. He, he kind of like crumbles to earth and he's on his knees and he's praying, which is kind of an interesting thing because we don't really see how think of Hal Jordan this way, you know, and he's praying to God is like, I can't believe you, you would have brought me back from the dead and, you know, basically giving me this power and responsibility just to have everything end this way. And it's like, please show me the way. There's got to be something that I can do to change this. And, and just at that moment in a, you know, in a big flash of, you know, white light from the sky, Zoriel comes down to, to talk to Hal. And you know, Hal. For first, Hal thinks, "Oh, that must mean the Justice League is still around." And he goes, and Zoriel informs him that most are dead, and pretty much the ones that have survived are just devastated emotionally and spiritually, so they can't heal themselves, let alone the world. And then Hal goes, "There's got to. What can the Spectre do? There's got to be something that I can do." And Zoriel just says, "No, there's nothing you can do except surrender." And of course, at first, you know, Hal doesn't really understand what that means, which makes sense because it's Hal Jordan. So the one, the one thing you would never really say or expect Hal Jordan to do, let alone understand, is why surrendering would be a good idea. You know, it's Hal. It's his, you know, but the ultimate willpower. Hal, the guy, would fight on 
regardless of the odds, because, you know, that's that's his makeup. At this point, when Hal's, you know, Zoriel kind of, like, dis- dissipates, and Hal's processing what he has been told, now we see, you know, the, the astral, another astral projection of Call, who basically uh, has hung around long has hung around long enough to kind of like, essentially, I guess he's once he's wanted to make sure for once and for all that you know the Spectre was going to be not a threat to him, and how Jordan kind of like the fact that uh, excuse me, the fact that Call Reckon you know, knows who he is, is able to, and he always knew who he was because he picked up the, you know that little ether that piece of mm-hmm. out of his of his essence, but Hal just kind of notices that you know the only the only the only two people on Earth, basically, who could recognize me, or basically, was Carol. Now, Carol couldn't even see me, not, and his brother couldn't even see me, I, who I am. But the only two people who recognize me are an angel, as in Zoriel, and a devil, basically meaning, meaning call. So Hal, you know, Hal starts beginning to try to uh, punish Call, but Call gets in his head again and keeps playing games. You know, and Call kind of points out, you know, my original plan was to die with everyone else, but I had second thoughts. You know, I kind of want a man works so hard. It's like I want to see, wanted to see the fruits of my labor, and plus he wanted to see that, you know, the Spectre, you know, broken and humiliated, and of course, deep down, he wanted to make sure the Spectre was actually not a threat to be able to punish him anymore. You know, and Hal's on his hands and knee, actually face down on the ground, trying to get up. You know, trying to, he's being punished, or he's being not like. God punished, but he's just being like internally you know, banged around still by the power of Call. But then Call kind of points out, but Call kind of gets a little cocky too, and Hal kind of makes it clear that even though I might be vulnerable, I'm not nearly as vulnerable as you think. And then he kind of like vomits out like a like a little hell baby version of uh, of Call, and Hal kind of like revels in the fact that for the first time that you know Call kind of looks surprised. And it's, and he kind of makes it clear, like you know, I don't need the spirit of, <laughs> I don't need the spirit of vengeance inside me to know what it feels like to, you know, to want or hunger for vengeance. I, you know, I've never wanted vengeance or revenge more than I want it now. And you know, they start, they start, they start, they start physically fighting, but you know, Call actually is able to, on, on the surface, Call seems to get the upper hand, which of course doesn't make any sense, but we know in a minute why. So he kind of gets Hal in like in a in a chokehold, and then he cracks. Hal's neck and Hal collapses and Call's all happy. It's like, yeah, I finally did it. I finally did it. Then you, I like this part. Then you hear this really maniacal laughter, and and Hal's and Hal as a Spectre, of course, at this point he's he's regained the, the Spectre appearance when his conf- when he was, was dealing with Call. That he goes, congratulations, Call, you won, you killed me, but of course I was already dead. <laughs> and then he then he stra- then he straightens out his neck, and now now we get the image that Call had seen. Of call down, you know, begging for mercy, and Hal's standing above him as an executioner, with a hood on and a and a sword of energy. And he's kind of like telling him, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to resurrect you, and do it again and again and again. And calls like staring at him with tears in his eyes. And then, you know, and at that moment, Hal kind of has a moment of clarity. He's a moment, you know. A real revelation comes to Hal, and Hal just rips off the executioner's hood. He, he throws away the sword. He gets down on his he gets down on his hands and knees. He picks up the sword again at one point. I don't know why, but he but he kind of looks up, and Hal now has a tear in his eye, and he goes, "I, I surrender." 
And Call goes, I don't get it. Why are you surrendering to me? And he goes, I'm not surrendering to you. I'm surrendering to him. He surrendered to God. That he, you know, he had to fight against his, you know, the natural instincts, like I said, of Hal was to keep fighting and to get revenge, but he just had to, he just had to basically surrender to God's will and let, you know, and, and not let the vengeance take him over because he was actually ashamed and humiliated by how he was, you know, the feeling that he had, how much he wanted to punish him. You know, at this moment, basically, and, and, and ain't not just one, but multiple angels pretty much come, appear to Hal and call. And they were both, you know, they both get lifted up, and basically these angels fly, fly all through the earth. And as they do fly through the earth, basically the earth, by God's will, basically is healed, and all, you know, every, all the essence, you know, the essence of everything is all the toxins and everything, the radiation that's all leached out, and everything continues to be, you know, continues to go back to the way it was. And as Abin Sir described, you know, Colin his hubris thought he could transcend the Creator's will, but when you push against the limits and the laws of the universe, the universe pushes back. And Hal Jordan wept at this. Hal Jordan laughed, and in that instant understood the depth of Zoriel's advice and his own action. For surrender, he realized, isn't a giving up, but a giving over, taking the burdens off her shoulders and placing them squarely on God's. So even Call still kind of crying at this point, and uh, this this hand, you know. Basically, like the hand of God comes down, reaching for Call, and Call at this point is, again, much like we saw in in Jim's issue with the gunman, who was basically grateful for being basically set free, being mm-hmm. punished, but basically being set free from everything. That Call kind of embraces, you know, the hand of God and in being in being taken, and at this moment, basically all of all the raw power of God kicks in, and you know the the earth essentially starts going going put back to the way it was and one of the most and what one of the coolest parts of all this is that at this part you know as they describe it you know the the world was reshaping and it was going faster and faster not but it wasn't just a power to recreate but to reconfigure and how and how could feel it he could sense it and how also knew that he there he realistically had a chance to tap into it so he had a chance to really do the, the, the parallax mantra of uh, setting things right. That all I want to do is set things right. That Hal had that instant when he could have done that. He could have basically taken what God was doing, reached in, and made the world the way he wanted to, heaven on earth. But Hal completely resists this opportunity. He does not play God. And he's kind of rewarded by this by Zoriel coming down, removing his helmet, and telling Hal, you know... To, the presence or God is pleased, and then we hear a, a "So am I," and is that supposed to be Abin Sir or God, or Hal? Probably Abin Sir, right? Since he's a narrator. Uh, yeah. Right. That so, then we get a little. We get a. We, the the storyline ends when we go back to California, where we have Jack Jordan and his daughter, and they talk about uh, they're looking at you know they're looking at pictures. And we find out that Jack's daughter was able to see Hal Jordan as he actually was. And then all of a sudden, so the, so when he appeared to them in, in in the park, even though you know obviously Jack didn't recognize him, that the, the, his daughter actually saw who he was, even though at the time she, he didn't really she didn't really know who he was. But now they're looking at the photo album, she knows. And then all of a sudden it's like, uh, you know, Jack kind of goes, I don't understand, but it's like I'm. So, 
It's like I'm suddenly seeing something that's been in front of me all along. It's like in the park, it was Hal. It was Hal. And that sets the stage for the beginning of the Hal Jordan Spectre series. Dun, dun, dun. So what do you think? The question I have is that when he's atop the Roxy, is that Central City, is that, is that Coast City reconfigured? No, I don't think so. No? No, I don't, no, no, I, I, I don't think, I don't think so. Okay. Um, yeah, it just seemed odd that he would just show up atop the Roxy. That's true. I don't know. I never really, I never paid much attention actually to to where in particular that they. they I don't know. Like they, they're just talking about like you know creating a paradise and reconfiguring things and stuff, and it just made me think like, well, maybe the Spectre, you know. It, it's not creating, you know, it's not recreating the whole world, but, you know, if he could just create, recreate Coast City, I don't know, like, maybe I could see him doing that. I wasn't, because, like, I, I know, like, they, was Re, Coast City reconfigured in Rebirth? I think it was Rebirth. I think it was Rebirth where I think it was brought back. But he couldn't have brought, but let's put it this way, how couldn't have brought, how Based on a storytelling point of view, Hal couldn't have brought Coast City back now because that would have defeated the purpose of the end of the issue. Because the point was that Hal had the opportunity to play God again, but he choked, but he didn't do it. Mm. Okay. Yeah, because that was definitely one of the questions I had. Uh, I like the, you know, the aspect that the niece recognized him. Um, even though they're drawn kind of weird. Yeah, that's the yeah the, the yeah the niece certainly is drawn weird. Yeah, like <laughs> kind of inconsistent from one thing to another. Um, yeah, the, this is the kind of thing where you know some of this art really worked well, and some of it didn't. And that's why I asked, like, if you know there was a different artist at some point during it, because yeah, just some of it is just super inconsistent. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure, like, you know, in the niece thing, that plays heavily into the Spectre. Yes, it does. You know, series. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, this particular issue. <laughs> what, what, what's the term? Deus ex machina? <laughs> I, mean, I know yeah. I'm mispronouncing that. But I mean, like, by the same token, um, it kind of fits when you're dealing with the wrath of God. Yeah, I mean, you can. So. Get, yeah, I think you can get. A, I think you can get away with here. Get away with it here because again, it kind of fits with the theme again, which is about that. Really, the, no, nobody has the nobody has the power or the right to play God except for God. <laughs> Yeah, and that yeah. kind of is a theme that is carried forth throughout this miniseries, and that includes the Spectre too. It's like the beginning of this issue, that the Spectre who sees who the Spectre and/or Hal Jordan, who on the surface think themselves omnipotent with this power, but still, compared to God, they're not. So it's the idea that there's limitations to almost everybody except for God. So when Call tried to play God and say, "Well, I can destroy all, I can basically undermine your, you know, your wishes because of my power," then God says, "No, you can't." <laughs> So, wait, now, Cole, was he killed by the Spectre? No. 
He wasn't. No, not by the Spectre. So his vision was wrong. Essentially, it did turn out to be wrong, yes. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Especially interesting because if this, you know, course of events didn't have the Spectre killing him, then what did he do in the prior, you know, set of events that had the Spectre killing him? That is true. Or, you're... Yeah, that probably yeah. That's that's probably one way, the basic way to interpret it would be that he was destined to be killed by the Spectre, and then of course, in a way, he does kind of by doing what he does. It's not just that he he kind of makes it self fulfilling, but not entirely because he makes himself he 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 commits a big enough sin to be punished by the Spectre, but because he goes above and beyond, he ends up being, God ends up stepping in himself. <laughs> oh. So yeah, it's like I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. This issue was good. I mean, it was a decent wrap-up, but... Issue 3 was still the best. Yeah, this was... This definitely was not, you know... Definitely wasn't the first best issue of the the series. I don't know if I would say it was the second or third either. But, I mean, it's a decent wrap-up. Uh, I like I like when uh, the Spectre's punching Cole in the face, going, Liar! I can feel your fear! Yeah. <laughs> I bet <Yeah>. you can! <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that was that was a nice touch. Um, yeah, no, I like. It's really, really weird with that art because there are some panels that just look phenomenal, and then there's you know you get to other things like the last you know page with the the brother and niece, and it's just like, you know, well, what the fuck happened? More the niece and the brother. Yeah, yeah. The niece. Oh yeah, oh yeah, creepy. yeah. Yeah, like you know, like the the like the the angels, you know, the way that he draws the angels in this are is you know fantastic. Um, you know, I I like the way that he draws Call like pretty much in all of you know the the scenes. Um, and the Spectre too, for the most part. I think yeah, I, I yeah, like, yeah. I like the way he draws he draws the Spectre. And Hal Hal is Hal, not as much, but. But Hal's the Spectre, yeah, it's it, it's it's pretty it's pretty good art. <laughs> yeah, best best uh, best scene of this issue would would be the Spectre with his neck snapped. <laughs> yeah, I was already dead. <laughs> That's Oops, how I like the picture. You got me. Which which was kind of cool in a way because even though Hal's in charge now, it is kind of like very reminiscent of what you, of the true Spectre, something you would see the imagine the Spectre or see the Spectre doing. Yeah, true enough. True enough. Okay, are we done? Yeah. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Did you want to do your Fantastic Four talk? You're too do you're too dozy. <laughs> oh my God! Like I can't believe how dozy I got for that last issue. Yeah, because you were awake. You really weren't out of it for long because because you had just responded a second or two before. <laughs> yeah, I like. Oh man, my uh, I guess my my awakeness just kind of went from like really super awake when we started to like nosediving. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll talk about the. The, the trailers a little bit. I didn't get a chance to listen to uh, the the 
general geek talk episode you just put out yet. Well, that's kind of good then for based on being able to express your comments because you, now you don't have to worry about not uh, you don't have to worry about repeating what other people have said or anything like that or being limited by it. I don't think we spent a huge amount of time on the Fantastic Four, so if, since that's the one you wanted to talk about the most, why don't we yeah. delve into that one first? Um, yeah, no, just like I was, uh, and I, I've been posting about this also on my Facebook, but when, like, I guess all the information that we've heard prior, like, really was coloring my opinion of the Fantastic Four, just like, I figured that movie was going to be awful, you know, and like, every time that they would, you know, come out with, you know, a little bit more information, a little more information, it's like, it just, like, angered me, you know, like, you know, like, I really like the Fantastic Four, and it's like, you know, it's like, well, uh, in this version, you know, like, and they, they, they start off by telling you, like, you know, I guess the things that they know that you're not going to like, like, <laughs> oh yeah, Johnny Storm, Johnny Storm's black, and, you know, all the kids are, you know, like, you know, we, we hired a bunch of 12-year-olds. And <laughs> uh, the Invisible Woman, the actress that plays her, hates comic books and has never read a comic book and refuses to read comic books. And she doesn't think that's important, you know, to the movie. And Doom is a hacker, you know, who writes a blog, you know, and... The you know, blog of Doom! <laughs> Mr. Fantastic works in a convenience store with uh, Ben Grimm. They don't go into space, you know, they go into the end zone. And, like... <laughs> like, you know, there's just, like, you know, they just pile it on in terms of, like, you know, all the, the differences. And then also, the other thing was, this movie is being made by the same guy that did Chronicle, which... I mean, I think that if you make a movie, uh, you know, circling around the concept of found footage, um, you're the devil. <laughs> to put it lightly, I like, I just, I, I think it's like the worst concept of all time. Um, I haven't seen Cloverfield, but I imagine that's probably one of the very few exceptions. Yeah, I don't know if Clover, I don't know if Cloverfield's the exception. That, that because that to me. Cl- Cloverfield is like the epitome of shaky cam, though. I mean, that's not. It's like you take the first, you take those few moments of Blair Witch when they're running with the camera, and you multiply it by like, let's have that happen like about half the movie, seemingly. That's what Cloverfield was like. So Cloverfield, if you had any, if shaky, if shaky cam tends to make anybody for the people that it tends to make like nauseous or make affects, you know, the uh, their sense of, you know balance or whatever there yeah that's, yeah that's not cloverfield's not a maybe it plays maybe it plays different watching it on tv than on a big screen but cloverfield in the theater i know my my friend when we went to go see it he had to especially towards the end he just had to like walk you know move walk out for a few minutes because he it was just getting it was just getting too bad so yeah, well i mean i'm saying more along the lines of like the concept the con you know conceptually yeah conceptually it made sense there were a few there, to be fair i think there are some Found footage movies that aren't bad and they and they make and they work. I, it, it's a con, yes, it's a it's a genre that's been played to death, which is kind of funny because I just watched the trailer for Air for I think Area Fifty One, which is like a found footage movie about some people that go into Area Fifty One. So, yeah, uh, but, but yeah, so like with Chronicle, like I tried to watch that and I just like you know, it. it 
I lost interest like you know incredibly fast. It just looked awful uh, from you know the little bit that I did you know sit through. Anyway, so between all of that and you know just like the general buzz that I had been hearing that I had been uh, exposed to was all negative. Everybody was like against it and everything like that. It really just colored my opinion. Like, you know, like, Oh God, you know, this is what, why do they got to do this to fantastic four? And I mean, like, honestly, like the thing that I think most people had a problem with was Johnny storm being black, you know, and then Sue storm being white. And I mean, like, I, you know, at first I was like, you know, oh, continuity in the story. And then I'm like, well, yeah, they could just be adopted or, you know, whatever. It's not really that big a deal. That's actually probably, you know, if you want to add some uh, racial diversity to the Fantastic Four, that's a really easy way to do it. But, um, yeah, you know, so like, you know, and then the first trailer came in, like, they barely showed anything, and it's like, again, it's like everybody's like, ah, this movie's gonna suck, they didn't show us anything, and blah, 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 and, you know, and I was right on board with that, that whole bandwagon, and then they showed the second trailer, like, right after the Batman and Robin trailer, or the Batman versus Superman tra- trailer, rather, which was right after this, the Star Trek, the Star, Star Trek. God, I am not going to name any one of these right. <laughs> right after the Star Wars trailer. So, like, at first, I'm just thinking, it's like, oh my god. Like, I think it was dumb to release the Superman-Batman trailer right after the Star Wars trailer. For Fantastic Four to then release theirs after Superman-Batman, like... I'm like, you know, what are they just like? They're just throwing their trailers away. You know, like, ah, anyway. (laughs) So I sit there and I watch it and like, you know, I'm taking it in and they give you human torch flaming on. They give you the thing, you know, rocked up. They, you know, they show Dr. Storm, like, you know, kind of heading the project and they show some of the character interactions. They show, you know, they show Doom for a second. I mean, like, I like Doctor Doom, but I don't really care one way or another as far as, you know, what they do with him. You know, like, with the other two movies that they made, like, you know, aside from the fact that I wish that Doom just hadn't been in the second movie, um... Just because, like, you know, okay, well, we've seen Doom for the first movie. Like, just go do somebody else. Like, there's so many freaking villains that they could have picked for a Fantastic Four movie. It's like, why does it always have to freaking be Doctor Doom? Um, but, I mean, I like Doctor Doom. It's just like, you know, give me a variety. So, again, it's like, I would prefer variety, but by the same token, like, if you're going to do a Fantastic Four movie and reboot the system and you have to have Doctor Doom... Like, do I really care who Dr. Doom is? Not really. And I definitely don't care whether or not Johnny Storm is black or white. And as long as he flames on, like, you know, don't really care. Um, Does it matter if, uh, you know, What's-Her-Face playing the Invisible Woman knows anything about comics? No, as long as she puts in a decent performance. You know, and like... All of my previous 
hesitations about this movie. Like, I'm just, like, you know, going down one by one, and I'm watching the trailer, and the trailer looks good. Like, it looks really good. Like, it's, you know, yeah, they're changing stuff. Like, they go into an altered dimension instead of, you know, outer space. But, I mean, realistically, like, who the fuck is going into outer space anymore? You know, like... They kind of. <laughs> That's a valid point, actually. <laughs> they kind of. They kind of stop that. <laughs> like we don't even have space shuttles that work right now. Like SpaceX is trying to, you know, figure out how to catch their space shuttles when they land. Like, you know, give me a break. Like nobody's going into space investigating cosmic rays anytime soon. So, you know, to have it so they jump into the end zone and something happens, like you know, why not? It's like I finally have hit the point where, you know, I'm just kind of like I'm not letting the just general negativity completely color my my opinion. And like I'm, you know, looking at it with fresh eyes and, you know, like I see see things – I see enough of the Fantastic Four in that trailer – that I actually, you know, now I'm looking forward to it. It's like I've comp- done a complete 180 on this one, um, and uh, I think it's I think it's going to be a decent movie. I think it it has the potential to be to be, you know, even better than just decent. So, so that's that's definitely one that I'm looking forward to. I didn't watch the Jurassic Park trailer, but I don't need to. I'm <laughs> I'm perfectly fine with what I've seen, and I cannot wait to see that. I want to see that more than I want to see Avengers. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're, we're practically seeing all the Avengers now anyway. <laughs> well, what you call it? I I haven't seen, you know, any of the, the more recent uh, trailers. I, I stopped at the, you know, I guess no strings on me. Well... No, we no we talk, we well the second one because we, we talked about the second one when the, the well, when the vision shows up at the end his it, face when his when his eyes come yes 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 yeah yes. that's actually because we talked about that I think in the last episode okay yeah yeah I yeah the where you see his face and that that's where I stopped that's where I said okay I do not need to see any more Avenger stuff and didn't they come out with another one. I think that, yeah, I think there's been another full trailer, and Lord knows there's been enough featurettes, clips, TV commercials, there, <laughs> and not to go off on a big rant, because I kind of just, we just recorded our geeks, geek speak, and I, we have to have a better term than that, I don't like that term at all, <laughs> I was really hoping we'd have a chance to read, to say something, to really not call it that while we were recording, but once it was out there, I was like, I'm just gonna not say a word, <laughs> But nonetheless, the point is, I just went on kind of saying how I, I was begging Marvel not to release footage of the Vision before the movie came out, since they had gone all this time without real footage of the, you know, of, of the Vision, other than that little cameo, little snippet of his face, which was perfect. That was perfect. Yeah. But of course, t- two days after we recorded, there's that first clip of the Vision, and not the final look of the Vision, as in how you know he's not in his completely the way we're, I think we're used to seeing him and everything, but it's the first time he may appear in the movie. It's like, I like, I think Marvel's done a really good job if you look at their track record across the board. I don't think what they're doing with the Avengers now is the smartest thing in the world. I think they don't need to show as much as they're showing. They're, it's like, and, I, and it's not like, 
and I'm not the and clearly I'm not the only person saying this because whenever you see these clips posted on all over the place, if you go you you read the comments, probably at least half the comments are saying the same kind of thing. It's like it's like it's because some people are like you they're just resisting what, seeing everything else, and other people are comment, oh, it's really hard to resist because I want to go take a look, and then there's the people that are just complaining. It's like, we probably, if we, if we put all the clips together, we probably have at least half the movie already. <laughs> so it's like, I just think it's overkill. They don't need to do it. They know how much money this movie's going to make. I mean, the biggest fr- the biggest opening day, like, in history still is, I think, Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows 2. I think that's, like, about $91 million. So the odds are the Avengers is going to have a $100 million opening Friday. So it may very well be close to 200 million after after Saturday, but it's like they don't need to do this. I mean, pe- I mean, unless you want to be cynical and say, if you look at where where Age of Ultron stands on Rotten Tomatoes as we record, it's really hovering around 80, and the and the actual Avengers, the first one was like like 91 or 92. So maybe that maybe they kind of had a. Unless they kind of knew that some of these reviews weren't going to be bad and they're trying to compensate, but they don't need to do that. No. They, the audience is built in. It's going to make tons of money. Whether people go to see it again multiple times or how many times is going to be based on whether they like the movie once they see it the first time. So, I The way I see it with, with a movie like this is that, like, well, I mean, especially for me personally, like, this is a movie where okay, they're going to show you different things. You're going to see bits and pieces and whatnot. But, I mean, like, you know, even if I knew a lot more of the plot, I don't think it would matter. I would still want to see it. Just because, like, this is a movie where it's, you know, it's about the story, but it's also a lot about the spectacle. Yes, Certainly, you know, the fir- certainly the first movie was that. The first movie was an event movie. There's no doubt about that because all because nothing had ever been done like that before. All these all trying to put all these characters together and almost like a magnificent seven of superheroes kind of concept. Right. I think this one is going to be more of that. It's going to be a lot more like event driven. Um, you know, so like you know, you, obviously we know that there's going to be Hulk versus the Hulkbuster Iron Man. You know, you're going to have the um, the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, you know, so they're going to have to fight them. Um, they're going to have all the, um, well, I suspect that there's going to be a bunch of, like, Ultron drones and stuff like that. I mean, like, there's going to be, like, so many battles and things like that in this movie. Like, it's going to be nuts. So, I mean, like, I, you know, at the point that I am, like... And then the other thing is, like, with merchandising. Like, I mean, even if you didn't watch the trailer, like, you could have accidentally gone into, like, a comic book store or whatever like that and spotted, like, the Funko Pop of uh, the Vision, you know? And then you kind of know what his costume's going to look like. I actually bought that last week. (laughs) 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 There's my point. I mean, like... There's been so much of this, you know, just merchandising out there already that you're going to see things that, you know, you – I don't think it makes that big of a difference. You know, like if they had not shown the vision, like I think it would have been cool that in order to get a glimpse of him, you had to go see the movie. Yeah, that would have been cool. But I mean, does it make that big of a difference? No, not at all. 
Not in the slightest. Because as it is, like, we don't know, like, well, I don't know exactly, like, how he comes about. I'm not entirely sure how that works. I don't know how Eltron comes about. I mean, like, I, you know, I know they're not going to do it word for word from the comic, um, especially without, you know, what's-his-face? Pim. Pim. Uh, yeah. So, you know, like, there's there's so much of this that I don't know that the story's going to, you know, grip me one way or another, and the action's going to, like, you know, be amazing. Um, but, I mean, like, you know, beyond all that, like... I don't know, like, the spoilers, the concept of spoilers for this particular movie is, it's not as big a deal to me because it, I think it's a lot more about the spectacle than about, like, some amazing reveal. Oh, I, I and I, and I absolutely agree. You know, it's just more like principle on this, and not just because I like the vision so much. It just seems like, up to this point, they had made a concerted effort, clearly, not to show the vision. Yeah. That he that they clearly made a decision somewhere along the line that this was the character, pretty much the you know the only major character in this movie, that they're not going that they made a decision based on marketing and everything else and what they were showing. We're not going to show you what this guy looks like. So my only so the only reason it bothers me is because you get this close to the finish line. And you know the movie's coming out in a week, and you can't even wait to like the day after the movie or the day the movie opens up to show them. It's like, oh, we still have to give you. It's like every day they release something new. It's like people. It's like I just but, think that yeah, they, but they, I mean, like that might have been the whole. whole yeah, it could have been they the strategy. They didn't want to release anything about the vision, but like you know, two weeks before the movie comes out, then they're going to release it to you know help gen you know continue to generate the buzz. Like you know, it's it's like um. It's like a buzz behemoth, you know, and like it's been steamrolling along and everybody's looking forward to it, you know, and then just before it, you know, it comes out, like you add just a little bit more fuel on the fire so that way, you know, it just gets a little bit bigger as it crosses the finish line kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I have no freaking clue why, you know, why they would show it, why they wouldn't show it. I don't know. Um. I just hope Star Wars does a better job from the point of view that if, if they make it if they make a concerted effort to not show you a certain character or not give you a perspective on a character or something something of real relevance to the plot of the movie that if they really make that decision we're not going to do it in the teasers we're not going to do it in the first full trailer I just really hope that they don't do this blueprint and do it like a week before the movie comes out like if for some reason they choose if they choose not to show you a full you know facial shot of Luke in any of the in any of the trailers, you know, without without his cloak on, they don't. If they make a decision, we're not going to give you, a, you know, show you Mark Hamill's face completely in any of the trailers, and and they don't market anything like. Then I just hope they don't like a week before you don't start getting te like snippets or things online because it's like what I don't know. It just seems like there's nothing to me. There's nothing wrong with especially in the day of the in, in the day of the internet, which is so hard to do anyway, of keeping some. Pulling some stuff back and make making it holding it until the day you go to see the movie, you know. Well, I mean, like I think with Star Wars, I think you're looking at a much different story since it's J.J. Abrams. Oh yeah, I I don't think they would. I don't think Abrams will do that. Nor do I think you know Kathleen Kennedy. I don't think yeah. even though I don't. I think they will have more control and they would even though Disney obviously owns them too. I don't think that they will follow this. I think they have 
much like the, the, tr- the trailers we've seen so far, they have a specific game plan for what they're going to show, mm-hmm. what they're not going to show, and when they're going to show it. And I, I don't think that I don't think they're gonna I don't think they're gonna fall into this trap, if it is a trap of of being in a way even though it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt the Avengers in a way what the Avengers have been doing over the last what Marvel's been doing for the Avengers like in the last three weeks is kind of what Warner Brothers did with Green Lantern right before that movie came out except the difference was they had completely butchered the marketing campaign up until the last month the movie came out so so they were literally doing it to make up for lost time yeah but but that's kind of what it was like i mean if i mean no one's going to say the avengers are you know, it reeks of desperation because people are looking forward to it and and you know the movie's going to be good mm-hmm. but that's how a lot of people reacted to the green lantern marketing cuz it's like oh my god these people are trying way too hard <laughs> but that's but it's it kind of just reminds me of that it's like every day it's another commercial it's more footage it's like except people Except Warner Brothers, you can understand why they were doing that. Yeah, <laughs> they needed yeah. to do it. They just needed to do it a few months earlier too. But yeah, and a lot more of it. And yeah, also a lot. They make just a different movie. That that's that too. But they yeah that that movie yeah that movie was yeah they needed to put they needed yeah. to they would have been much better off just pushing it back a full year from since it was supposed to be a Christmas release. They act and I was wrong about that. They should have pushed it back from one Christmas release to the next Christmas release because then they would have had a lot then they would have basically had the movie done by the time they went to Comic-Con. And they wouldn't have had to re- rush that first trailer. They wouldn't have had to be, then be gunshot to release any other footage till it was really really done. And they wouldn't have all the positive buzz or the interest in the movie that was there to start with, they wouldn't have been they wouldn't have shot themselves in the foot and then tried to, you know, build it back up. But it is what it is. About Fantastic Four, since uh, I, I I agree with you, the trailer itself certainly looks better. I still don't think those characters really resemble the characters that we know and love from the comics all that much. Personality-wise, I don't get you don't get that certainly from the trailer yet. Maybe read a little, but and, and maybe actually maybe Ben more, even though he doesn't really say much. But Ben, you kind of can see. I mean, Johnny doesn't remind me of Johnny all that much, and and actually and. Kate Mara there as Sue Storm did nothing for me. She kind of came across as a no personality whatsoever. I thought in that trailer. So I think so. On the, I think the special effects look better, and it gives you the hope that once they actually become the you know get transformed, that they may resemble the characters that we know with their powers and the way they act. But I don't think, from a personality point of view, I don't think fitting the characters' point of view that has that has really changed all that much. It just it just it it raises the bar from where it was, but the bar was, you know, on ant level to start with. So it's kind of like raising its... So now it doesn't look like a complete train wreck, but it still doesn't look, you know, but it doesn't look necessarily look like it's a home run either. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I think they do give you some clues to Johnny Storm's personality. Um, and I, I, I kind of always suspected that he would... Uh, he'd do good. Um, he could. I mean, he he could. Yeah, I don't. I. I can't see. And they've also they've done a good job also with the fact that they've no longer that they probably haven't been doing any, they haven't been doing any interviews for a while, so they haven't been shooting themselves in the foot anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, that, that's, <laughs> don't that's, say anything. Um. Yeah. Yeah. No. I. Like I said, I I, I got enough out of it. Um. You know, I, I am, I'm definitely more confident than I was. Oh, I am too. But um, yeah. So, what else? We talked Star about Wars. 
Anything you want to say about Star Wars? Um, looks good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, like, I'm not. I, I have not been like sitting down and analyzing the uh, the trailer. Like, I watched it. And I'm like, well, that was freaking awesome. Um, that's about it. Uh, I don't. I don't think I'm as hyped about that new droid that has everybody else's. Oh yeah, BB-8. BB-8. Um, I think it's, in, it's intriguing. It's an he's, intriguing concept. He's cute, and the fact that it's a practical effect is pretty is pretty intriguing too. Yeah, I, yeah, it's intriguing. But I mean, like, I'm not like, oh my god, I have to have a BB-8. Yeah. Um. Um, he's no R2, come on. Exactly. <laughs> he has to exactly. He's got he's say he's gotta save everybody's asses about fifty times over to even pull it even with R2. <laughs> yeah. Um beyond that I, I don't know. Like I just I, I am definitely looking forward to it. I think it's gonna be phenomenal. Uh but uh And they certainly know how to they certainly have done a very good job cutting those two trailers so far. Yeah, they yeah. know they know exact because they are they have a plan like we've talked about. But but it isn't just as in oh we want to show this footage we want to show that because and we kind of touched upon this a little bit in the episode we recorded this week. But it's, that it's just, they're designed on purpose to evoke emotion and it's a feeling and take you back. You know, it's not just it's, it, to pump you up, but also take you back because everything that those they're cut for a reason, and it's also it is cut for a reason. I think plot wise too, showing you with the old and inter, you know intermingling the new. It's but it's but they but it's they they know what they have and they're, you know they know this the anticipation for this movie will be, will be huge because you know, simply not just because of Star Wars, but because it's literally something people we you know people had already written off that we were ever going to see. Which was Han, Luke, and Leia on the screen again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The fact that they're pulling this off, like, I mean, like, I think even before they did the prequels, like, I wanted a seven, eight, nine more than the prequels. Oh yeah, I have almost everybody did. Um, I mean, like, they always, you know, he he always alluded that he would get to the prequels, but like, at some point, he changed his story. From oh yeah, you know I, I plan on making a seven eight nine to you know eventually it's just like oh yeah I just kind of rolled it all into Return of the Jedi, and it's like really is that really the case or do you just not want to make the you know the next three movies or you know what you know there's there are some things Lucas has been consistent with and there are some things Lucas has always been one hundred percent inconsistent with with how he talks. Yeah. And the and the and the number of episodes Star Wars was supposed to be has always been one of those things that's been shaky. Because yeah. there there were times when it was supposed to be nine episodes. I think I have an old I think I have an interview with Mark Hamill on an old issue of Starlog where they were talking about oh still talking about twelve episodes <laughs> and things like so. There's oh and it's always been a discrepancy and just like uh always yeah I've never really thought I've really never thought going beyond going beyond like beyond you know six that finished that finished the story but yet. And we don't know how much of his story survived into Episode Seven, but obviously Lucas had written down ideas for the for another trilogy, so obviously that wasn't true. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. But it's a it's a smart it's a but it is but the good news about it is even though for the most part even though I don't hate the prequels at all like a, a lot of people don't like the prequels or hate the prequels or whatever that 
we know after episode one was episode one, it kind of sucked a lot of life out of the out of the anticipation for Star Wars. Um, episode three brought it back to a large extent, not only because it probably was, as most people would say, it was the best prequel overall, but because it was the, it was supposed to be the last Star Wars movie. So you had right. a whole lot of nostalgia, and it became an event for that reason, and not just because that was finally going to be the true connective tissue that got you from from where you began in Episode One to you know the beginning of Episode Four, but it was also this is going to be the last time you get to see a Star Wars movie. So now you have so now which which really see up until a few years ago, I mean that was a pretty stunning announcement when they sold to Disney and that they were going to do more Star Wars movies. That came obviously. T- from from their point of view, it was not at a left field. They'd been working on it for a while, mm-hmm. but for uh, to the you know to to the, us and people and this moviegoer and that that was like stunning. <laughs> it came out of the blue. So now that, and it, plus it's been like ten years. It's hard to believe that it's been ten years, but it's it's in May. It'll be ten years since Episode Three came out. So it's been a, it's been a whole decade since since you know all the prequels wrapped up. So between the fact that you've kind of had you know the absence of Star Wars movies, kind of like building up the anticipation again, but then you had the fact that yes, now you finally get to see the characters that you grew up with, and you get to see you know how their story plays out, which you never really thought you were going to see. Yeah, not so, on the big screen anyway. Not on the big screen. Yeah, I know a lot of people are unhappy with the expan- all of, most of the expanded universe or a large part of it is either completely gone or might be gone or is up in the air. I don't know. I'm less tied to the expanded universe even though I read some of the books early on in the early in the early to mid 90s. Uh, but most to be honest, most of the expanded universe stuff that I've read theoretically is still or can still be canon because it's all stuff long before any of the movies and it's stuff to, to, between like th- between even before the prequels, like Darth Plagueis about how Palpatine came in and everything else. Even though there's a lot of rumors about whether Darth Plagueis is actually still going to be play a role, you know, in in movies going forward. Right. No evidence to support that. I think no real concrete evidence, but some people think that maybe you know he didn't really die. Uh, but like the Darth Bane stuff, I have the Darth Bane books and they, they were great I think that's just one of the best things that were ever written in the expanded universe about Darth Bane and how he how he how he started the rule you know survived you know, wiped out the Sith started the rule of two and everything else it was just so I'm not as married to the post you know post uh, Endor universe as a lot of people but I but it's like but you put it you put it in the context of like Star Trek you know the Star Trek books were always you know they're they're their own universe basically you know, it doesn't mean that they didn't happen. They just, yeah. you know, they just so. But. Well, I mean, you know, the the final thing that I'll say is that, like, my favorite thing about Darth Bane is when he broke Darth Batman's back. <laughs> so that was good. Uh, uh, and least, the good news is, at least Darth Bane, and I like Darth Bane. He's a pretty cool character. That. Uh, the good thing about for me about Darth Bane is he's ab- we know he's absolutely still canon because he showed up in like the the, the last I think the lap, last episode of the Clone Wars TV show when Yoda was <laughs> beginning to master the process begin the process of having having how to learn to survive and transcend and keep your identity after death that Darth Bane and his who Darth Bane was and the legacy of the Sith was still clearly intact so I thought that was I think a lot of stuff, honestly, that predates the prequels and goes back to the Knights of the Old Republic era and stuff like that. Most of that, I bet you, is still going to be canon because it doesn't really doesn't really affect anything that happened in the movies up to this point. So there's no reason to really wipe it out. I, you know, I would like to see a, a, a well, at, at least one movie 
you know, that kind of gives the, the history of, you know, what leads up to the prequels. I bet you, and I bet you we will. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of material that's out there, and there's a lot of, and even the stuff, and again, even if they start from scratch, there's a lot, just, I mean, let's be honest, just from a visual point of view, like you've seen that in some of the games, I think, for the Knights of the Old Republic, just the idea of having, like, a huge number of Sith versus a huge number of Jedi would be pretty awesome to see. Yeah, definitely. That would be pretty, Uh, that would be, that would be pretty neat, so. Okay, so let's, let's wrap this up. Absolutely, while while Jim's still conscious, barely. (laughs) Barely. All right, so one last time. So this is what we this was the, from the Lantern Cast point of view anyway. This is the last tie-in to the Legends Month that we've been participating in, along with views from the Lockbox, Gotham Girls, and Pop Culture, culture excuse me, Affidavit. So all of those are available. All those podcasts are available on iTunes. So Pop Culture Affidavit, it's Episode 4, Gotham Girls, Episode 17, and unfortunately, as of the moment, we don't have an episode number from Views from the Long Box, but please check out all of them. They're all they're all pretty good stuff in general, but certainly to follow through Legends Month, it would be cool to check out their, you know, the, their participating episodes in this event. So if you'd like to contact us here... Related to our this podcast or the main podcast or anything or any the other spinoffs or you can email us lanterncast at gmail dot com lanterncast at gmail dot com visit our website lantern eh, lanterncast dot com I must be getting t- I must be getting tired lanterncast dot com you can access our forums our ringcyclopedia episodes we're gonna put our put more breaking news there like Chad did with the John Lant- uh, John Stewart discussion the casting of that uh, rumor you can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook hashtag GLcast to find us on both we're also on iTunes and Stitcher so please find us there and leave us positive reviews and last but not least if you'd like to leave us a voicemail call us at 708 lantern. 708 Lantern, and let us know what you think and what you would like to hear in future episodes as well. Nice. Thank you. And if you want to hear me more, then uh, go on over to the Slyderscast. Slyderscast.com, Slyderscast on iTunes. Uh, We're on Stitcher and TuneIn. Um, So, all uh, episodes of uh, the TV show Sliders from the 90s, we pick an episode and we review it each episode so it's a lot of fun yes absolutely go check out Jim there and as we close Jim and I will be back soon and depending depending how you and what order you listen to this yeah. <laughs> either the next time you hear us we'll be going back and talking about uh, the first appearances of Hal Jordan after Day of Judgment and before the storyline we just went over or if you're, if you're listening in, in, in number order numerical order of episodes uh, the next time we record, we'll be actually delving into the first few issues of the Spectre series. Nice. Nice. Okay. So, so thank you for listening, everyone, and we will see you or listen. You'll listen to us, and we'll see you soon. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll talk to you soon. That's we'll, better. We'll talk at you soon. <laughs> but not about you. We'll talk to you. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Good night, everybody. A verdict is in No appeal on the 
Silence now the sound 